Welcome to episode number 73, The Art of Masking. I am your host, Damon Soka. Just a quick reminder today before I begin, if you have found some benefit with these podcasts, send them on to a friend or a family member. You are really the only way that this podcast continues to grow. I think that it's important that I give you a warning today before I get started. There will be a short story about a suicide attempt. The story is short and without much detail, but I just don't want you to get caught off guard. I want to tell you this story. Uh, this particular story is about a person who is affable, friendly, loving to friends and family, a good student, a little quiet thought and thoughtful, patient with animals and people, married with a couple of children. She was a good mother, thoughtful friend, conscientious about those who suffered, and seemed in every way headed in the right direction, both spiritually and temporally. Her husband was busy providing for life, starting his career, but not unusually so. He was attentive and loving and had time. She always completed everything she was asked to do at church, rarely said no when asked to serve. As most mothers are, she was tired and she seemed overwhelmed, but what mother isn't? Life seemed to be headed in every way towards eternity, when one day the husband arrived home to find her lying in bed. Without too much concern, thinking that she was just sleeping, she had been tired after all, he went to the kitchen. His wife had been sleeping a lot more lately, and it did not seem that she could ever keep up. They had discussed making an appointment with the doctor, but things always seemed to get in the way, and the appointment just never got made. She hadn't been as happy as she once was, but she assured him that she was just tired and not feeling well. The children could be heard downstairs watching television, so he thought that he would just start some dinner and see if she felt good enough to eat. He got some things started, and then went to wake her. She couldn't be woken, and then he noticed the pills. The ambulance came, and so did the hospital. With some time and effort, she was able to overcome the effects of the overdose, and eventually return home. Her friends and family rallied to her side, but why had they not seen the problem before now? This story is not unlike many that happen every day throughout the world. While the personal details change and the circumstances, age, culture, and experience, what does not change is that suicide and self-harm seem to come out of the blue. Why is it that someone can become so despondent, or how is it that somebody can become so despondent and troubled that they overcome every survival instinct of the body and sink into hopeless despair, and those around them not see it or know it? Now, the question is really not an easy one, especially for survivors. Now, for those of you who are not aware, a survivor, in this case, are those who are left behind. Questions such as, how did I not see this coming? What did I miss? Why such a drastic measure when life before them seems so good? How can someone hide such deep and poignant feelings so well? Why could I not see it in them? You can imagine the guilt and the concern of the husband her parents, his parents, not to mention brothers and sisters, and other close family members, and including members of her ward. Everyone thought that they knew her so well. How can we be so close to someone but miss something so important in their lives? Now, as a member of the church, questions from the survivors, those who are left behind, come at even a often a higher price. For we are commanded to be our brother's keeper, to love without conditions, to listen, and to strengthen the feeble knees and help the hands that hang down. We feel not only the loss in the relationship and trust, but failure 
as to our responsibilities as parents, teachers, family, spouse, and children. We most often take a perspective of failure when suicide or other drastic actions are taken in mental illness. This idea of failure then leads to places and questions that haunt the soul and stop eternal progression. While the tendency is to ask questions and to feel blame, shame, and guilt, there are important aspects of mental illness that one must understand before jumping into all of these questions about suicide, self-harm, and the responsibility. Now, before I get to those, one quick note. It's important to note that after a suicide attempt, the person who attempts suicide feels even more guilty than those entrusted to them. They wonder if they will ever be trusted again, if they can ever be seen as a person without an illness. They wonder how it will affect their employment, their relationships, both current and future, and their family. They even wonder if family members will accept them again. They, like, they are likely to feel embarrassed, confused, very concerned for the problems and damage they have caused. Many may look upon what they did as a sin and view themselves as someone unworthy of the Savior's redemption. Without help and understanding, all of these concerns will generally cascade on them over time, and they will likely succumb to the desire to remove themselves from this life again. Now, the same is true with drug use, cutting, and other such things as perhaps tattooing and piercing. Now, tattoos and piercing are not always a concern, but they can be a symptom of mental illness and a demonstration of great distress. What is important is that the person attempting suicide will also feel great guilt. Today, I am not going to talk about the repercussions of suicide and self-harm. I have done that in other episodes. Today, I'm going to talk about masking. It is one of the main reasons why we cannot see what is coming, why it is so difficult to predict self-harm and suicide. I hope by the end of my discussion that your questions about how and why will be answered and failure and feelings of guilt will be removed from your vocabulary, both for the person who has attempted suicide and for the survivors. First, let's start out with what masking entails. Masking at its very core is the ability of an individual to cover up deep, difficult emotional states for short and sometimes even long periods of time, masking them as it were with an outward face of normalcy. In essence, it's the ability to look happy when you are not and normal when you are deeply distressed. It is the ability to hide true feelings even from those closest to you. Masking is by its nature not always a conscious action, meaning for the most part we don't think about how we are doing it or plan it in advance. It is a learned behavior that provides us with some camouflage when we are walking into unknown or difficult circumstances or when we feel that we cannot fully share our emotional or mental state out of fear for the repercussions. Now, I say that it is a learned behavior because we are taught by parents, our culture, society, and peers, and almost our entire environment how we should behave and appear in particular situations, and that means both in private and in public. Now, at the very basic form, you can see this interaction with parents and their children, teachers and their students, and a host of other people, no matter where you go. Correcting behavior, including the outward expressions we keep on our face and body, is a fact of living in a society that really desires certain conformities to normalized emotional expressions. Society wants us to look and feel a particular way. The best example of this is our interaction with 
upon meeting others. Now, I do this all the time even. I ask, how are you doing? The expected answer is a smile and life's great, or I'm still upright, or some other anecdotal phrase. When I ask the question, was it intended for the other person to divulge that they're having a bad day? No, not generally. It's intended as a greeting, and we are expected for the most part to demonstrate that we are doing just fine in our lives. Now, this includes also all of the environments in which we live. We may not respond the same at church as we would at home. We may act differently based on expected interactions at work, and even when we go to places like the supermarket. We are very likely to conform our behaviors, expressions, and actions to a particular social group at church, work, home, and or community. In other words, we teach children to mask their emotions and to conform to particular sets of normal behavior or normalized behavior and emotional expression, and often even without knowing that we're teaching it. Meaning that we do expect a tantrum from a three-year-old, but we are also quick to point out to them that the tantrum is not the appropriate expression of their inward emotions. We express regularly to them an idea of emotional control and appropriate expression. We also express the ideas of emotional social distancing, meaning that you only share certain details of your life with certain people. Now, there's nothing wrong with teaching appropriate expressions of emotion or even some well-intentioned emotional distancing. Learning not to destroy property, say terrible things to a loved one, or punish others through various means because you are angry is something that we need to be taught and learned. Learning to control emotions and keeping our composure during stressful situations are actually pretty good social tools. However, during those moments of teaching and learning, we create this alternate persona who is composed, happy, and has no issues in life through what we call masking, meaning that we teach people to mask their true emotions for the benefit of society and to discuss the troubling emotions in in appropriate locations with the correct people except that we often leave out the part to discuss our emotions in appropriate locations with the right people. We emphasize control of emotion and composure without allowing for that individual to work through the troubling emotions and concerns. Now, certainly our children learn by correction, but they most often conform to the example of parents and their expressions. A child, a teenager's relationship, interactions, and cultural conformity will almost always mimic their parents with some slight to moderate deviations. Now, I love the saying that the apple does not fall far from the tree. And for the most part, you will find that to be true down to facial expressions and the manner in which these children express their emotions to others. However, my experience is that most individuals in society, including parents, teachers, leaders, and friends, do not teach effective methods of emotional discussion meaning that we teach the masking of the emotion very well, but we do not always address the emotional difficulties behind that. For those who generate normal emotional responses, the lack of discussion surrounding emotion is problematic and can lead to some behavioral issues, but for those who suffer mental illness, teaching masking without effective means to discuss internal emotional problems goes far beyond just a few behavioral issues and often leads to far more drastic outcomes. So masking is not really a new concept to those of us who suffer from mental illness. The behavior has been learned and reinforced very early in our lives. 
Now, extending it into the mental illness sphere of life is actually fairly easy in some ways. In other ways, it's probably a little more difficult. Mental illness is not just a momentary change of mood or a bad week that we can cover up. It's not just getting angry at the neighbor because his dog's in her yard. It's a reality altering emotional and mental state of the body that is far more long-term. So masking for those suffering from mental illness is more than just covering up a few bad emotions. One has to mimic a normalized mental state of mind while suffering in a separate but completely different state of mind. You have to entirely pretend to be someone you are not in every sense of that word. For me, I was always at least two different people. The one on the inside, anxious, depressed, and overwhelmed, and of course, sometimes high with mania, and the person I was expected to be based on my current social interactions. Now this, masking, is the first answer to the question of how we don't see it coming. How do, well, how we don't see suicide or other self-harm actions coming. People with mental illnesses can get very, very good at masking and creating alternate personas. Now, I accomplished the alternate persona very well with various breakouts for which I would invent excuses. Now, my breakout excuses were common events that wouldn't draw any alarm. I would say things like, I don't feel well. I'm tired. My stomach's having a problem. My body hurts. Now, my mental illness really did cause all of those physical symptoms, so I was never really lying about them. Now, before I was diagnosed with mental illness, I had created personas, all of the personas necessary to allow me to carry on with life, with little concern that anyone would know the real me and my mental illness. I do not know if anyone really knew who I was on the inside. I played the part and masked my interior emotional distress very effectively. Now, perhaps the only one who might have known or suspected was my mother, and I even don't think she fully knew what was going on. These alternative personas, and yes, there is often more than one, are the methods by which we live in a normal world while our bodies live in an alternate, depressed, and anxious condition. Now, for those of you who don't know, this masking takes a great amount of effort and energy to produce. So maintaining the altered persona cannot be done for long periods of time or extreme amounts of time. Eventually, the mental and emotional fortitude breaks down and we have to rest. This is why you might see depressed and anxious individuals who are mentally ill remove themselves from time to time and go somewhere to be alone. They need rest from the masking. Now, the why. The question is often asked, why do we do all of this masking? While I think that some answers are fairly simple and easy to understand, such as simply trying to fit in with various social groups, there are deeper concerns. I think you probably could write a book on the subject, and perhaps one has been written. So I'm not really going to make an exhaustive list, but it's important to understand and see the why. Take, for instance, a situation where you would tell someone that you have had suicidal thoughts. What would you expect to be the outcome? How do you think this would change your relationship? Would there be any positive outcomes? I think that most of those answers are pretty self-explanatory if you think about them. Our society, and that includes people within our church, does not deal well with suicidal thoughts. This would likely place you into kind of a leper-like state. Even when the suicidal thoughts 
rarely elevate to actual suicide. Here's a second condition. What if you told someone in the church, even someone you considered a friend, that you were a bipolar or took medications to treat your depression? What do you think would occur in your relationship with them? The problem is that you really don't entirely know because you have never experienced it, but I personally could never see any positive outcome from telling someone that I took and currently still do take some medication. Or that at times I still have those terrible suicidal thoughts. Now, I believe that most of my current thoughts originate from the beat-down training my brain took during my bipolar years. Some of those pathways in the brain are really deeply etched. What is important about masking is that we are attempting to avoid negative outcomes. To show that we are and what we truly feel inside is not going to allow us to continue to be viewed in a positive light. And it is going to alter our relationships and possibly our freedoms. This includes with those who are closest to us in our lives. Many a spouse, parent, brother, sister, grandparent, teacher, leader, and so forth, have been entirely surprised by a suicide attempt or other types of self-harm, and sometimes even to understand that you are dealing with a mental illness. Now, we naturally want to blame these type of events on something and feel guilty that we perhaps missed something in their lives, especially if we are close to these individuals. We want to have someone or something to blame so that we're not caught by surprise again. The problem with this assumption and idea is that it does not take into account that masking is a natural response to our environment. And as I said previously, many individuals do it very naturally, even without knowing that they mask their true emotions and create these alternate personas. Understand that mentally ill persons make an art of masking their emotional states. And from the outside, we will look very normal even with those of us who are close to us. Now, this accounts for the surprise when someone admits those difficult emotional states or does something drastic like attempt suicide in their lives. We don't see it, not because we don't want to, not because we aren't a good friend, not because we don't love them, but because good masking is almost an impenetrable shield. Even when breakouts occur with people who are masking, most good maskers will use excess excuses to cover those moments as I did. Normally, these will be physical ailments and other issues. For me, this is why blame or shame should never be assigned to suicide or other self-harm. You should never feel guilty about someone close to you who attempted, attempted or committed suicide. Masking creates such a shield that even if you thought that someone might be in trouble, you would have serious doubts, doubts based on their outward state, what they are showing you. And now for the suffering person who is masking. I can tell you that if you have a mental illness, you have already likely created several personas that you use on a regular basis without thinking to cover your emotional state and your mental illness. You mask your emotional state on a regular basis and you likely have not shared your deep feelings with anyone fearing, as I did, that they will not understand and that there are not that there are probably going to be some negative consequences. I realize that the situation is a difficult one. Even talking about suicide with your spouse can feel as though you will always be seen by them differently. Now, I still don't tell my wife about all the thoughts I've had regarding suicide, 
For me, it's because I realize that most of these thoughts are just a leftover shadow of my previous illness. But I really don't want to concern her. I know that she'll worry about me, and there's nothing to worry about. Now, I think that we all try to shield those we love from our feelings. We don't want them to be affected or worry about us. I also think that sometimes we realize that we might lose some freedoms, as their concern will turn into a justifiable 24-hour watch care of us. Talking to one's parents, leaders, or other responsible people might be more difficult to do, meaning they might rush to your side and take away every freedom you have because, of their, because their instinct is to provide survival and of the responsibility they feel. So I absolutely get it. You want to be able to live your life without a text message asking you if you are okay every five minutes and someone watching over your shoulder questioning your every move. But I can tell you that people who are good maskers are also those individuals who have a tendency to crash and sometimes resort to extreme means to avoid the pain and suffering of the mental illness. You do need and are going to need help, especially if you have drifted into suicidal or self-harm thoughts. Actually, it's probably preferable before you get to this point, but I think that most of us get to the suicidal thoughts first. What do I mean by help? You are going to have to trust someone with your secret emotions and allow them to help you. This doesn't mean you need a 24-hour nanny. This does mean that you need someone who can work through difficult moments with you and have a rational voice. Therapy is a very good option here, as you can openly talk about things without having to concern yourself with the repercussions of those around you. I would recommend some type of therapy for anyone who suffers with a mental illness, especially if they have suicidal or self-harm thoughts. In addition to this, you are going to have to take note how often you mask, what you are really feeling. You have to understand how much of a chasm this creates between your real self and the personas you've created. Our bodies are not really built to function under a mask for long periods of time. The disconnect between our actions, reactions, and our outward expressions and what we feel causes all types of distress, serious stress, and other additional problems. While I understand that masking is and can be important to feeling as though you can be included, you need to have a place and a time where masking is not part of your life. Look at it this way. If you could disguise your voice and put on a good fake rubber mask, what would you confide in someone? That is the place you need to be. In addition to a therapist, you are likely going to have to find a confidant that you can trust to help you. I realize that it may be tough to find someone, but you are going to need this. So will your mind, body, and soul. It is likely going to be very important that you... Pray about this person and understand fully and help them to understand fully what they are getting into. Now, I don't think that anyone has to feel guilty about masking. While I don't think that keeping your secret hidden from every person is good, I also believe that it's important to be discerning about who you tell and why. Your body and mind have pretty good instincts about negative consequences of telling the world about your illness. I have experienced them, and I suppose that many of you have as well. The key is to understand when masking is appropriate and when it's not, and how far it really does need to go. Masking will have some detrimental consequences on relationships when and if the other person in that relationship finds out about masking. So you should confide some details in those you love. 
I don't recommend telling them everything, but I do recommend letting them know of your illness in a more general way with the additional teaching them about what that means. If you're just going to say that you are a diagnosed clinical depressed person or you have an anxiety disorder and leave it and then leave them to their own devices, the consequences are going to be naturally more negative because you have left them with the unknowns. And remember, I've talked about this a lot. Unknowns are the worst thing for the mind because the mind uses whatever it has to fill in the blanks. So don't allow their minds to fill in the blanks. Teach them about the illness and help them understand it in the best way possible. There are some great websites out there to help you do this and other information to help with this discussion. It is important that you understand that, you're, that you mask your mental illness more than you know and even from those you love the most. I suggest that you go to those loved ones, those ones very close to you, and talk and train them about your illness. This doesn't mean that you will not continue to mask, but what it does mean is that you'll be, you can be more tr- your true self around them and most importantly, discuss what you are feeling. So now, if you wonder why you didn't see it, why they didn't tell you about the suicide, why they looked so good on the outside but were ready to do something so unexpected, you will know that masking is a part of the illness and that those of us who have the illness are very good at it. If you are a parent, leader, or someone with responsibility, it's important to understand masking and its effects, especially if you want to help those who suffer. Getting under the mask is going to take a lot of time, effort, and trust. Lots of trust. Understand that even with a good relationship, there still might be thoughts and emotions that are always masked. It is not that they are trying to hide anything for the most part. They simply don't know that they are doing it. Now, I hope today... Both you who suffer and you who take care of those who suffer have a much better understanding of masking and the why. And I hope my conversation has helped in some small way. Now, remember to do your part and the Lord will do his. Until next week.